Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. I'm also the founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute, Family Counseling Recovery Center in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's challenges, reach out to us. You can find more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. All right, so today's episode is with Jenna Remersma, and she is going to talk about internal family systems. And I was excited to have her on the podcast because I've had some exposure to internal family systems before and I've done a couple trainings and I really love it as a way to talk to ourselves and understand the different parts of ourselves in a compassionate and kind way and bring out our, um, our divine self, our loving self. So. Jenna shares her knowledge and wisdom in this episode and her passion for this work and even leads us through some examples of of how you can do this. So I think it's a great episode. I think you guys will like it and, and I hope you enjoy it. One more thing. If you'd like to support the Addicted Mind podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or leave the podcast a review. I really do appreciate that. And... Don't forget, you can also join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, let's get this episode going. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Jenna Remersma. And I'm really excited to have Jenna on. She is going to talk about internal family systems and how that can be helpful for anyone who's 
I, I think struggling with addiction, but uh, a lot of different issues as well. So Jenna, do you want to introduce yourself, please? I'd love to. Thanks, Dwayne. I'm Jenna Remersma, and I'm the clinical director of the Atlanta Center for Relational Healing. I'm also teaching faculty for the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, as well as Addo Recovery Network. And I've recently released a new book on internal family systems called All Together You. Awesome. So I am so excited that you're coming on because I have had some experience and some training in internal family systems, and I really like it. And I really like it as a way of relating to yourself. So I'm excited to talk about this topic. But before we start, I want to know a little bit more about you and what got you into this work and how did you find this and stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, the day that I encountered internal family systems really turned my life upside down. I have been in private practice for a long time. I've worked in residential care and have been trained in every model of therapy under the sun. And IFS, which is the abbreviated version of internal family systems, suddenly made everything make sense. And it made sense of my own struggles and of the struggles of my clients. And it gave me language to really find healing much more effectively and to really name the positive intent of all of the things that we struggle with. IFS is a way of approaching our struggles with literally no shame, with only the embodiment of grace and love and compassion for ourselves and for others that truly has the power to transform everything. And I think that's such a struggle um, when you talk about shame. How do we relate to ourselves in a way that, especially if we're shame-bound and we've had a lot of trauma in our life, it's like it is hard to talk to ourselves. Absolutely. And when we know, as you and I do as addiction professionals, that shame is one of the driving forces of addiction, then sometimes the way that we have an internal narrative about our addictive behavior or our struggles or our feelings that we don't like or want, it only serves to make that shame worse. So in our mind's eye, if we conceptualize ourselves as a monolithic entity, as one singular entity, then we're going to say things like, I am an addict. I am depressed. I am anxious. But when we understand that actually at our core, we are a dynamic, loving, undamaged, compassionate, connected, courageous, curious self, and that it's actually our parts that have become burdened with addictive behaviors or with depressive feelings or anxious feelings, and they take us over sometimes, and they cause us to feel a certain way or to do certain things, but they're not who we are at our core intrinsically. That changes everything. And not only that, when we actually grasp the core principle of IFS, which is that all of our parts are actually good, and I'll say that again because that's about as counterintuitive as it comes, All of my parts, all of your parts, all of the parts of every one of our listeners are good, even if they are stuck doing or feeling things that are not good, like acting out addictively or feeling yucky feelings. The parts are good and they're carrying our trauma and they're trying their best to help us not feel pain. And that is so 
counterintuitive when you first kind of hear it. Because it's like, first off, what do you mean by parts? You know, that's one of the questions I would want to ask. And then the other part is, what do you mean like it's all good? How could they be all good? They're hurting me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing all these horrible things or whatever. So can you, can you explain that a little bit? I would love to. And this is such a visual concept for me that usually when I'm explaining it, I like to use props and objects so that we can look at it and make it tangible. So if you're a visual person like I am, feel free to go to my website, jennaremersma.com. I've got videos there where I do this with objects. But the general idea is that at our core, if you think of yourself like an apple and there's a core right down the center of who you are, right there at your core in the center is yourself. IFS calls that our self. And in every single human being, that is pure, undamaged, positive, loving, creative, healing energy. Every spiritual tradition has a name for that in Christianity, it's the God image within us. In Hinduism, it's Atman. In yoga tradition, it's called prana or chi or, or flow. There are many different ways of describing that, but it is a deeply spiritual and grounded and healing energy at the core of every single human being. And it is fundamentally good. We all then have various parts of us that make us who we are that are just part of our personalities. For example, I have a part that loves public speaking. I dearly love it. If you look at the list of phobias in the world, public speaking is above the fear of death. So most people would rather be dead than do what I do for a living. So uh, that's a unique part of me that many other people don't have. But we all have different parts of ourselves that just make us unique and they're wonderful and they take us over when we need them and then they shift back elegantly when we don't. So when you mean a when you mean a part, how does someone experience a part of themselves or how does that look? Well, it is literally a subpersonality within. Okay. And so when we are doing quote parts work in IFS, we'll notice, for example, if I have a giddy part that takes me over that's just silly and playful and giddy, I'm going to think giddy thoughts. I'm going to express giddy expressions. I might giggle or say silly things. I'm going to feel a giddy lightness in my body. When that part of me steps back, I'm going to feel, think, and say different things because it's no longer taken me over. So literally, it's as if there is an internal group of parts inside of us, not tangible physical parts, but literally sub-personalities. Yeah, like that's what I was about to say, like parts of our personality, like this part could be an anxious part or this part could be an energetic part and they, they kind of work together. Well, what happens is when we go through life, bad things happen. Right. Sometimes those bad things are capital T traumas like sexual abuse, verbal abuse, neglect, abandonment, natural disasters like what the entire West Coast is facing right now with fires. COVID is a, a natural trauma that every one of us has experienced. And many times when we experience negative things, we become burdened. If we don't have someone there helping to validate our feelings and providing us tools with which to cope effectively, those parts of us become burdened. 
So for example, a playful young part of us that gets, for example, bullied on the playground might lose access to its playfulness because a burden takes it over of perhaps shame right, or rejection or I'm not wanted or I'm not good enough. And so now this happens to be my story. I was bullied pretty severely in my high school years. So even now as a 50-year-old woman, if I walk into an environment of a grouping of people who all seem to know one another and are talking together, that burdened young part of me will sometimes jump up and take me over and I will feel flooded with shame. Right, right. I will think thoughts like, those people don't want me here. They don't like me. They won't include me. And physically, my body will carry those sensations because that's the way parts work when they take us over, even though it's many years since that bullying occurred in high school. And what happens is we don't live well with the pain of those parts. We call those parts exiles. Once they've become burdened with a trauma burden, we call them exiles in IFS language. And they carry a lot of pain in our system if that trauma goes unhealed. So like for you, that playful part of you, that playful child who was kind of bullied or shamed, that part is pushed away. It becomes an exile. It can't, it can't come out anymore or it doesn't want to come out. Or It's like almost if you can imagine a child being covered by a black blanket, let's say, or a dark colored blanket. That blanket is the burden. Right. So the, okay. the child part of me that's playful, it's still under there, but I've lost access to its playful quality because it's covered over with a burden of shame and I'm not good enough. Right, right. And so the reason that it's called an exile is because all the other parts of our system try to exile it. They don't want us to feel that way. So we develop the other two types of parts, which are also burdened. These are called our protector parts because they're trying to protect us from the pain of the exiles. One of them is called the managers because they're proactive. They try to prevent me from ever feeling that rejection and shame ever again. So these are things like control, perfectionism, people-pleasing, spiritualizing, those those types of kind of, quote, maybe more codependent or proactive qualities that are burdens. Then when that doesn't work, let's say my perfectionism part stops working at some point and it drops the ball, I make a mistake, and my not good enough exile floods forward again, then the firefighters kick in. That's the reactive team. And they jump in on the back end to try to make the pain go away. And those are the parts that you and I work with a lot. That's every kind of addiction, porn addiction, sex addiction, alcoholism, drugging, work addiction. These are sometimes eating disorders. Sometimes those are managers as well. Suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, dissociation. That's just a burdened part jumping in, trying to help us with pain. Right, trying to help us feel different, something, get us out, rescue us. Exactly, exactly. These are heroic parts. And the problem is that everybody hates these parts. And we shame them and criticize them and try to kick them out. And we say, you are so bad, rather than welcoming them and saying, okay, dissociative part, You just took me out. I was starting to feel pain and all of a sudden I went blank. So a dissociative part took me over. 
okay, what are, what are you trying to help me with? What, what are you afraid would happen if you didn't take me out right then? And typically the dissociative part would say, well, I'm afraid you'd get flooded with that pain and it would be too horrible. You wouldn't be able to handle it. So really talking to these parts with a, a lot of compassion, I mean, that really reframes the whole, the whole thing. So instead of going, how could you do that? Or you're horrible, or you really switch that to a more compassionate dialogue. It is a complete game changer because it's usually our internal manager part that shows up and yells at the firefighter. The manager is pissed off that the firefighter keeps bringing the addiction in to make the pain better. And it's usually the manager the morning after a bender that calls us and says, hey, I need some therapy. Basically, this addicted firefighter over here is getting us in a lot of trouble and I need you to help me keep this firefighter locked in the basement. And so they come in and the control manager that really wants to get sober and feels bad sits on our couch and says, I need help. I want to get sober. Meanwhile, the addicted firefighter is skulking in the background going, oh, hell no, I don't want to get sober. If I get sober and stop acting out, nobody's going to be able to handle this pain. You don't understand what I'm trying to do for this person. So in that moment, if we can say, hey, I totally get that a part of you wants to be sober and stop this because you hate the destruction that it's bringing in your life. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe there's another part of you that learned how to help you in this way. Where did the, let's say, part of you that looks at porn learn how to try to help you manage your negative feelings in this way? And then that person might say, well, you know, when I was five and I stumbled across my dad's stash of pornography and I was being neglected and abused and there was nobody else there to help me, but something in me felt real positive when I found that stash. So this part of me developed way back then. And it's been trying to help me in that way the whole rest of my life. Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Wow. And when we begin to have compassion and respect for the positive intent of the parts, what happens is they start to relax. They start to open up to negotiation that if there were a different way to help that pain, would they be interested in not continuing to act out in that way? And it turns out, and I love this about being an IFS therapist, 10 times out of 10, that part hates what it's doing. It hates acting out sexually. It hates drinking. It hates drugging. But it thinks it's the only way to help. And it actually really wants to do something else. And so we come in as hope merchants, as brokers, to work with that part, to free it up, to do what it was actually created to do, instead of having to continue to act out in this desperately unhelpful way to try to make the pain go away. So being able to talk to that part and go, hey, I, I see your intention here is to help me feel different or take away the pain, but you, talking to the part, you know that this is also harmful and you don't want to do it. Well, we don't probably start out telling it that it's harmful because all of the manager parts have been yelling that at the firefighter for probably its entire existence. And so has the spouse and the pastor and the neighbor and everybody else. Maybe many therapists have been telling this part, what you're doing is bad. You need to stop it. 
that's not our first line of defense with these parts. What we want to do is first try to understand there must be something major going on for you if you feel like you have to keep doing this thing, even though it's bringing about more pain. Could you, you know, share with me why that is? What are you afraid would happen if you didn't jump in and act out in this way? And usually we'll get, and again, people think this is a little weird when they first hear about it. It's not like we're hearing voices in our heads or we have multiple personalities. This is just a really normal part of being human. Well, we all have internal dialogue. I think everybody experiences that. You know, we have this internal dialogue that we talk to ourselves all the time. Exactly. People don't think twice about it when you're talking about what your internal critic is saying to you. Because we all have one of those, but we're just... We're just having a dialogue with a different part than the internal critic, let's say. And what we understand is that then that part feels cared about. It feels understood and it feels appreciated so it can relax. Because the problem is, Dwayne, you and I know if I walked up to you and pushed you, you would likely step up and push me back, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we typically do to these firefighters. We link arms with the client's manager. We walk up to their alcoholic part and try to push it. And do you know what it does? It just pushes back and says, no way. It stands up and it says, I'll show you. And it goes on a bender. This is why I'm convinced our relapse rates for addiction recovery are so daggum high. And when I worked in residential, it was always just so heartbreaking because you'd have somebody when they were surrounded with care 24-7 for three months, doing just a brilliant job with sobriety. And a month later, they've relapsed once they, once they leave residential treatment. And why is this? It's because if our approach is to push over the firefighter, it's just going to wait until it's got a window and push you right back. And I'll tell you, the firefighters are 10 times stronger than the managers any day. But if I walk up and I say, Dwayne, oh my gosh, tell me. How did you come to be here and where did you learn how to do this thing? I really want to understand. I respect you. I know you're doing something important, even if I don't quite get it. Help me understand. You'd be like, oh, let's go have a latte. And let me tell you, it's much more relational. Right. So uh, it, it sounds like it really changes that relationship with yourself when you do that or with these parts. I know that's kind of sounds like <laughs> self part, yes. you know, and knowing what, I guess also knowing what is the self, what is a part, and that becomes confusing too. But it sounds like on an overall stance that there's this very compassionate way of talking to all these parts in a way that creates an open dialogue with without a lot of judgment. That is the key. You just hit the nail on the head without judgment. So I want you to just, everyone who's listening, come with me for a moment. Can you ever in your entire recollection of your entire life, ever once remember being in an environment where you knew deep in the core of your bones that every part of you was welcome and that you were not being judged? Have you ever had that experience? Ever? Most of us, the answer to that is no. Most of us feel that most parts of us might be welcome, but we have to hide this part. Or if you really knew what I was doing or thinking or feeling, you would reject me. You would judge me. You wouldn't love me. You wouldn't want me here. 
IFS helps us to truly embody the reality that all parts of every person, including ourselves, are truly welcome with no judgment and no shame. And that right there in and of itself is transformational. Because if shame drives addiction, then understanding the positive intent of all of our parts and absolutely eradicating shame, it makes sense that that would actually heal addiction. And in fact, it does. And it is radical. It is revolutionary. And that's why IFS is taking the world by storm. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I totally can get that. Like when you ask that question, it's like, well, wow, I have to really think about that. And and that, that is sometimes a really hard place to get to, I mm. think, and uh, definitely relate to that. But then when you were talking about the feeling of of just being with yourself in in wholeness, it's it's such a good place that we can get to. But yeah, I mean, it's it it can be difficult to get there. <laughs> and it sounds like um, this is this is a way in which you can begin to do that. Well, what I love about it is that in addition to turning everything we know about healing and personal growth on its head, it also turns on its head everything we know about, I think fundamentally, this is a spiritual question. How do we access, if in fact that core, grounded, calm, compassionate, wise, loving self is within us at all times? And I would argue that it is in all people, at all times. How do we access it? Common contemporary thinking says we strive. We we try harder, we effort, we meditate, we do good things, we set resolutions, we shame ourselves when we do bad things. IFS says do the opposite. IFS helps us uncover what is already there, not by striving, but rather by surrender. And this is powerful. It's the Michelangelo moment when he was uh, carving the angel in the stone and someone in theory passed by, according to the story, passed by and said, what are you doing? And he said, I am releasing the angel that is trapped in this stone. That is exactly what we do in IFS. We are not efforting. What we are doing is we're releasing the quality of self that is already there by warmly welcoming the parts that have jumped up and taken us over and obscured our access to that self. And when we welcome them, they relax back. And when they relax back, they literally release the self that is within us at all times. We have that within us always. That beautiful, loving whole spirit. Yes. And there's a very easy way to know if we're in a part or we're if we're in ourself. Oh, great. I was just about to ask <laughs> that question because I was like, okay, tell me a little bit about a part and self because sometimes they it, it can be confusing. It can. And that's the wild thing about IFS. It's on the one hand, it's very simple. And on the other hand, it's deeply complex. And so I want to make it simple. I want people to be able to grab this and apply it to their lives immediately. So here's the magic question. Would you like the magic question? Absolutely. Okay. I call it a spiritual MRI because what we're doing, it's as if we're stepping into an MRI machine and the MRI is is sort of x-raying us and giving us the results. And the way that we can turn on the x-ray button is we ask ourselves, how do I feel towards fill in the blank. So let me explain that 
by putting some flesh on it for a second. So many parents right now are in the difficult dilemma of coping with COVID, working from home, and homeschooling their children. So there's a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) You just just hit it right there. That's right. So what we have is we have a lot of parts at war right? So a typical parent might have one part that's super grateful for the lack of commute and the increased time with children and the not having to get dressed up and put on heels and makeup every day. And another part of them might be absolutely dying for five minutes of alone time. (laughs) And another part might love being more engaged with their children's schooling. But another part might be willing to pay a private tutor three and a half million dollars just so that they don't have to sit at that kitchen table and try to figure out algebra and calculus. Right. So we all have parts at war. And what we know is if I ask myself, how am I feeling toward, let's say in this situation, homeschooling or my child? And my answer to that is frustrated. I know I have a frustrated part that has taken me over. If my answer is angry, I know I've got an angry part that's taken me over. If my answer is checked out and numb, then I know I've got kind of a dissociative part that has taken me over. If my answer is, uh, what kid? I'm just thinking about my to-do list. Then I know I've got a get-it-done part that is trying to take me out of that situation. Maybe I feel inadequate to be homeschooling or whatever it might be. But If my answer is one of the eight C words of self, and again, you can find all this information on my website, jennaremersma.com in the show notes. But if it is one of these Cs, calm, curious, connected, courageous, compassionate, creative, connected, and confident, chances are good I'm in self. Now, if you're like me, It may have been a whole hot long time since you felt any of those eight C words because COVID has replicated the traumatizing, powerless situations that most of us had parts that became burdened under. So true. We become burdened when, (laughs) when, when something bigger than us is dangerous and affecting our lives and we're powerless to do anything about it. That's usually the conditions of our original burdening. And so our exile parts tend to flood forward. Parts that are carrying anxiety, depression, fear, hopelessness, despair, anger, rage, hatred, those parts flood forward. And then we get our protectors that jump in and say, oh, I'm going to help you with that. That's why we're drinking, acting out with pornography, raging at our partner, kicking the dog, um, going for really, really, really long runs. Because our manager and firefighter parts are trying to put out that pain. And it's just simple. We just ask ourselves, how am I feeling toward? And if what I'm feeling toward is anything other than the eight C's, I'm not in self. And then I can welcome that part and say, hey, welcome part. I know you're here. What are you trying to help me with? What are you trying to let me know? Let me just sit with you and listen to you. And what we find is those parts settle right on down and they tell us what we need to know, and then we can regain spontaneously that calm, curious, connected, courageous self that is within us all the time. It's almost like once you can do that, you can get the really valuable information that these parts are trying to tell you that maybe you can, you know, they can help you 
change that situation or feel differently or maybe they just step back. I don't know, but it sounds like if you can listen to them and really slow down, you can do something with that. It, it is so much more productive than spending a great deal of time fighting the feeling or the impulse. It's much more time effective and wise to just stop, notice it, and listen to it. For example, I'm working currently on a big suicide prevention project, working to equip parents who have children who are struggling with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. Well, suicidal ideation is a firefighter. It's a burdened part that's trying to help stop pain. And you and I know the reports of this firefighter are escalating dramatically right now, especially among our young people. And the reason why is because our exiles are flooding. And young people who have thoughts of suicidal ideation, that firefighter doesn't think there's any other way to end the pain and the hopelessness. And so it thinks the only way to fix this is just to take you out. Now, that firefighter doesn't really want to kill the person, but it doesn't think there's any other option. So, for example, if I was a young person and I noticed that I was having suicidal thoughts, rather than letting them take me over, and actually killing myself or trying to fight them and shame myself. I can't believe I'm thinking about this. If I notice them, now this is an extreme example because I know this is a big firefighter, but if I welcomed it and said, hey, I recognize you're here because I'm having these thoughts of ending my life. What are you afraid would happen if you didn't take me over and make me think about killing myself? And usually we might get this kind of idea of some sense or an image or it's not like we hear voices, but the, the part will just give the impression of, well, I'm afraid that the world is just hopeless and continuing to live is hopeless and you're just going to be flooded with pain and there's no way out. So it's better to end it. And if I didn't end it, you would be stuck in this unwinnable situation. Oh my gosh. So you're trying to help me not be stuck in an unwinnable, painful situation. Is that right? Yes. Wow, thank you so much for trying to help me. What if there was another way to find hope in this or to relieve the pain that I've been feeling? Would you be interested in knowing about that? Now, usually a manager or a firefighter at this point will say, I don't believe that's possible. Right. And we right. say that's what, that's what my thought came <laughs> yeah. to my head. It's like, well, that's not possible. Right. And that right. part doesn't believe that it is because it has no evidence yet. So we want to honor that. Well, of course you don't think it's possible. You haven't actually ever really seen that, but would you be willing to kind of step back for a little bit? And maybe would you be willing to give me like two weeks to work with my therapist on some trauma healing and developing um, maybe a network of support people or trying an antidepressant or whatever it might be that we're going to offer this part. And then we'll come back in two weeks or four weeks, and we're going to check in with you and get your evaluation of if it helped at all or not. Would you be interested in that? And 10 times out of 10, that part says, well, I don't really believe it's possible, but I'm willing to give you that amount of time to see. Okay, so we've just now, I'm, that's an extreme firefighter. So I'm not recommending that a lay person do that with a suicidal right, firefighter, right. but you get the idea. That doesn't matter if it's suicide or alcohol or porn or depression. When we interact respectfully with these parts, we can usually help them to not feel so alarmed and so hopeless, and we can create the awareness that there are some other options. 
Right. And even in your dialogue and the way in which you were talking to that part, it, it feels much more calming and kind of not as as intense, like alert, like right. we got to do it right now. It's got to happen now. It's kind of like, okay, I can take it. I can, I can step back a little bit. I can, I don't know if I believe you and you honor that. Yeah. Right. That feels good. Yeah. And then you can kind of give some room there. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just so valuable and it's so rich. This not only changes how we interact with ourselves and our own burdened parts, but it changes how we interact with others because when we're under stress, we tend to get burdened parts up that don't interact super well with our loved ones or those with whom we're in close proximity because our burdened parts have a relationship with their burden parts and we tend to ping off of each other and those burden parts can come up even if we don't open our mouths. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where, you know, your beloved walks into the room and you take one look at their face and they take one look at yours and you immediately have a protector part up and so do they and nobody's even opened their mouths. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know exactly what they're thinking and they know what you're thinking and and we don't tend to relate super beautifully to each other because our parts get activated by one another when we're under stress. Well, now if I have the ability first of all to help myself, get into self-energy and help my burden parts to step back and not be so reactive. But I also have the ability to look at my beloved or my neighbor or my children or my mother-in-law or my coworker who has a wonky burdened part up that's doing that thing that it does that drives me bananas. And I say, oh my gosh, that's not who that person is. That's that wonky burdened part that they have that's trying to help them in some way with pain. And it's sure doing really annoying things right now. I certainly don't love the behavior of that part, but it's a good part stuck in a bad role. And it's not who that person is. And I'm going to choose in this moment to see through the behavior of that part to the self of my beloved. And I can respond in a calm way, which helps their parts to de-escalate. Now, obviously, that's only going to be something we want to do if we're not in danger. If our beloved's part is an abusive part, then what we want to do is set boundaries. But just in general, non-abusive, non-dangerous circumstances, that allows us to de-escalate and to be able to actually be present in so much more of a loving, gracious, generous way with people who normally drive us bananas um, that we then can stay in greater self-energy and that invites greater self-energy in the people around us. And it's really a beautiful, um, as Dick Schwartz, the developer of the model would say, a beautiful, virtuous cycle. Yes, and I was just thinking that it's just so uh, compassionate and loving and such a, a dynamic shift when you can you can do that because you really can connect to that that loving self and that loving part, or I don't know if it's loving part, but the loving <laughs> exactly. self, right? That can really bring about that that positivity and that positive energy, which is what we all really want. I couldn't agree more, and. I feel so strongly about this because I've experienced it as an individual, as a therapist, and as a trainer and speaker. I have experienced it in my own life, in the lives of those that I love, and in my clients' lives, and in the lives of the people that I teach. And this is so much of a game changer that I've basically, this is my model of therapy, and and I've got a big tool chest of therapy tools, but this is my go-to because it is so deeply compassionate and effective. And it's so revolutionary that I was going to name my book, This Changes Everything. 
I wound up naming it All Together You, which I love because all the parts, you know, come right. together to make I you. But I, <laughs> I wanted to call it This Changes Everything because, oh my goodness, I want to shout it from the rooftops. This really does change everything. And isn't that what we need right now? We need hope and we need grace and we need healing. And we've got it right here at our fingertips. It's actually inside of you and inside of me. And the trick is not to strive more toward it. It's to surrender into what's already there. Oh, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm going to link to your your book in the show notes and everything so that people can get access to it and, and also your website and everything like that. It's such a positive energy that you you bring. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. So before you go, though, anybody out there and maybe they're struggling, what would you want to tell them? What I'd want to say is that all parts of you are good. All parts of you are welcome. And you are safe here. It's okay to feel your feelings and have your, have your needs and bring them, bring them to your self-energy where they can be warmly received, honored, witnessed, and healed because you matter and all parts of you are welcome. Awesome. That is so great. Thank you so much, uh, Jenna, for coming on. For one more time, how can people find you if they need to get a hold of you or they, they, they want to know more about you? My website is jennareemersma.com, which is a lot to spell, but it'll be in the show notes. Right, I'll put it in there. <laughs> and my book is called All Together You. Uh, it's a bestseller on Amazon, which is so exciting. I'm super honored. So it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, if you go to Amazon and type in All Together You, it should be right there. Awesome. Jenna, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 109. If you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. I really appreciate it. And I think uh, we're over 200 reviews at this point. And um, I really enjoy reading those reviews and knowing that people are listening and uh, take everybody's feedback uh, very seriously so that I can uh, make the Addicted Mind the best possible addiction podcast out there. So thank you for all the people that have left reviews. I really appreciate it. And think about joining our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful, beautiful day and uh, I will talk to you on the next episode. Take care. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. 
My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.